Well, the message this week is called Far-Flung Faith, and I dare not say that three times fast. I tried. It's ugly. It's not just a tongue twister. It's a way of life. Far-Flung Faith. Far-Flung, it means widely distributed, or it could mean something distant and remote, like a far-flung outpost. So a far-flung faith is one that touches many. Ideally, this would be every area of our lives. Far-flung faith extends into places that are distant and remote, perhaps literally, like in a mission field. But we're going to view this as things beyond the horizon of what we see, or more importantly, beyond the horizon of what we can understand. But the image on the screen represents both of these aspects. And if you can tell, it's a, it's a rock skipping across the lake. And this, the skipping stone has multiple points of impact as it travels along the water's surface. And it carries a stone beyond what the stone could travel if you simply tossed it. You know, you get that spin going, and it, it goes far. Now, skipping rocks may be another one of those simple pleasures that we enjoy or used to enjoy. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, you find that perfect stone, and it's flat, and you just, it's the right size. You can just kind of sidearm sling it, uh, and, it and off it goes. And I almost asked my kids if they remember this. But then I remembered it doesn't seem like something that they do or enjoy because there's probably not an app for it. After all, there is an app for everything else. But this week is part one of this series. We're going to look at our faith from these two aspects, applying our faith in every area of our life and having faith beyond what we can immediately see or understand. We'll take a quick break next week and honor our fathers, and we're going to look at what the Bible says about God's plan for our fathers as we celebrate Father's Day. And in two weeks, we're going to continue with this part two where we look at our response to God as he meets our faith. You know, it's, it's, we come to him and then he does this thing back. And, and this morning we're going to talk about what God will do if we do our part. And next week we're going to talk about what we do in response to what God did. It's going to be fun and very interesting. But Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. When we give our wealth, whether it's literal money or is our time, thoughts, energy, or talents, and all things that we can agree have value to us, we're performing an act of worship. And I share this every Sunday. We do this to give honor and praise to God our Father by showing Him that we value Him more than these things. This is why we have a special time of tithes and offerings during the service on Sunday mornings. It's as much an act of praise and worship as the hymns we sing. When we share our wealth, we are also showing obedience to His commandments, not just this verse from Proverbs, but also many other scriptures throughout both the New and Old Testaments that speak to providing for those in need, supporting local churches and communities and tithing. And this is another reason why we need to have a special time of tithes and offerings during our service on Sundays. is just as much an act of obedience as our presence here is itself. And giving our first fruits isn't just a means of worship and show of obedience, it is also an act of faith. Whether we are considering the money we give to the Lord's work or we're considering the time and energy, we don't know how much more there will be or the quality of what remains. An example of this from my own life, I don't know what certainly what future holds for my career. We learned that a valuable lesson this past week. So the money I receive twice a month isn't really certain. I don't know how much energy I'm going to have after this morning's service, board meeting, and other church-related activities. Will I have time or the strength to mow? Help me out, guys. She's right there. <laughs> 
Talked about grace and mercy. <laughs> I joke. But there is a measure of sincerity to the example and guarantee that all around the world and in this community, people have made decisions about how they spend one of the first hours on Sunday based on these same considerations. Giving your first fruits means to give your first and your best. Do we do this even in our church attendance? Do we give honor and worship to God as he instructed, but only when we don't have something better to do? Or perhaps when we can't think of a better use of our money, time, or abilities? And I'm reminded of a proverb, a cultural one, not a biblical one, that says, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Are you familiar with this saying? It suggests that it's better to have the certainty of a small thing than the possibility of something greater, which may come to be nothing at all. And the statement reveals the faith exercise when you put money in the offering plate, donate time to support a community organization, or even just show up here on a Sunday morning. What if I give money and have an unexpected expense on a Wednesday? What if I work in the garden for two hours and I'm too tired or too sore to golf the next morning? What if I went to church in the morning and the fish stopped biting at noon? Silly examples, maybe. But God says if we honor him with our first and our best, he will take care of the rest. That's not to say that he will make the fish wait until after church to bite on your bait. And he certainly hasn't done that for me. My, my poor son does not know what fishing looks like successfully. I've taught him. He knows how to fish. He just has never seen it done with success. But what God does pr promise is that he will see your efforts, his, your commitment and your worship and obedience and your faith, and he will respond with glorious and generous blessings. Maybe not the way of a dollar-for-dollar dollar reimbursement for your cash donation, but maybe. I mean, we've, we've probably heard stories where you're down to your last dollar or, or you didn't know how you are going to make it and something happened. You know, they just kind of freed things up for you. Those are blessings. But sometimes he does this in greater, more visible ways, sometimes in less visible ways that, that are far more important. But as I subtitled this part one of the message series, God Will. Because when we do this, when we act in faith, God will hear you. God will meet your needs. God will be with you. He'll guide you. He'll watch over you. I love this. He'll understand you. He'll love you. He can't stop loving you. And another one, he'll outdo you. He may outgive you. He may outlast you. He may outexceed your, your hopes and your expectations. But God will meet your genuine acts of faith and he will respond. But we need to give him something to respond to. Psalm 34, 8 from the New International Version says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I believe it's notable that you first taste and then you see. We do this and then he does that. You remember the message, if then? If you missed it, it's, it's on the podcast to go back to. Another translation uses this, discover for yourself. Discover for yourself what God does and see that he is good. Another example is this notion of extending faith in God responding was discussed recently in our Bible study time. And we're currently working through a book titled Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. And let me give you a glimpse of what we studied last month. This is from the book of Joshua 3:11 through 17. It says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. 
Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from the upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, with all Israel passed by until the whole nation who had completed the crossing on dry ground. And the study guide asked this question. says, have you taken your first step with God by receiving Jesus in your heart? He calls you to take the step. He says, I know the water's there. I know it looks like it's something that you can't or shouldn't cross. He said, but trust me, take the first step into the water and then see what I do. And people often confuse this with the parting of the Red Sea. Yes, this is the same group, but this is Joshua going the second part of the trip. So he actually parted it twice. And the author of the Bible study materials offered these words in response. It says, no matter how far away from God you've gone, when you surrender your life to the Lord, a path is carved out from where you are to where you're supposed to be, and he puts you on it. I love that. That is something to ponder in your heart. And if you haven't taken that first step, if you need to do a do-over reset, because you've taken the first step at some point in your life and you feel like, I need to take another first step, or you simply feel like you don't even know what that means, I'd love the opportunity to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you about this. And there is a miracle in his power. If the path he's on is crooked, he will make it straight. That was our verse to remember today. If you're headed in the wrong direction, he will turn you around. Sometimes, sometimes you don't realize you're in the wrong direction. Sometimes you don't really want him to turn you around. But sometimes he just, he does that. He puts something in your way. And if you've come to a standstill, he will get you moving. If you're going around in circles, he will correct your course and cause you to arrive at your destination. The simple act of giving your life to him will immediately put you on the correct path and aim you in the right direction. And as you take one step at a time, holding God's hand and letting him lead, he will get you where you need to go. She goes on, his desire is that we become more and more dependent on him for every step. That's because he wants to take us to places we've never been, to heights we can't imagine. Remember me telling you, he may bless you in a way that you can't even imagine, far beyond what you asked for. He outdoes you in this way. It says, in order to do that, we have to go through the low valleys, treacherous mountains, rough terrain, and narrow paths of life, places where we could easily get lost or off the track. And there's definitely no way we can just head off on our own and expect to arrive safely in the place that he has planned for us. And quite opposite of that way we teach our children, we will never know the true joy of freedom until we understand we cannot take a single step without his help. She's referencing back to this notion that when we teach our children to walk, we support them and we walk with them. The idea being at some point they let go and they walk on their own. God does this a different way. He wants us to hold on to him. He wants to teach us to walk. So we are more dependent on him as we go older, not less. And that is faith. Faith to let him lead your life. And that is true faith. A faith, as Hebrews 11.1 1 describes, confidence in what we hope for an assurance in what we do not see. And there are things that we can't see, but we know to be real. I love this example of air, the air we breathe. It's real. You can't see it. can't smell it. If you can see it or smell it, you probably don't want to breathe it. But you can't see air, but you know it's there because you see it when it moves. You see it at work, the tree, the leaves rustle. 
you see um, gentle, you know, you feel a gentle cooling on your skin on a hot day. You may see the grass bend. Faith is a lot like that. It can't be seen and let us put it into motion. So let's look at that verse again. Confidence. We can have confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence, hope, and assurance. These are words of comfort. God's promised blessings to his children, and these are priceless. These words are powerful. Matthew 17, 18 through 20 says, Jesus rebuked the demon, the demon, and it came out of the boy, and it, and he was healed at that moment. When the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you've probably heard this, you can say this mountain move and from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I would argue that it wasn't the amount of faith that they lacked because these disciples, they had an enormous amount of faith. They set aside their lives to follow him. They put their lives at risk to be a believer. They did all of these things. So I don't think that it was a lack of faith, but it was faith put in the wrong thing. They had faith that because they believed they could do what God can do. But the truth is that, that when we have faith in God himself and believe in his power, not our own, miraculously things can be accomplished by him and his name and glory. We should not pray that we save a person's soul, rather that God do so. And perhaps that he uses us to accomplish this work. You will often hear me that, to say, God, please put someone in their path or in their life that will point them towards you. And it would be nice to be our accomplishment, to know that we made that change in lives. And I assure you, in some capacity, you probably have been and are and will continue to. We aren't always aware of the way we impact God's, uh, people's life for God. But the truth is that if we are blessed enough to be a part of God's plan in this particular way, it is still his accomplishment, not our own. Paul's letter to the early church in Corinth explains it this way. This is from 2 Corinthians 1.24. And this is the message, which is a paraphrase. It says, we're not in charge of how you live out the faith, looking over your shoulders, suspiciously critical. He says, we're partners, working alongside you, joyfully expectant. I know that you stand by your own faith, not by ours. You, when you're confident in your faith, that is your own doing. That is your relationship between you and God. Not because of anything we do. We're just your partners. I love that. We're partners working alongside you, joyfully expectant. And I want to remind you just a few things about faith. This is from um, the message at the speed of faith, which we'd done a couple months ago. Number one, your faith can grow. Number two, faith is a gift. And faith, it means trust. The book of Matthew quotes Jesus saying, oh, you have little faith. On five different occasions he said that. On all but one of these occasions, he was addressing the disciples regarding their fear or worry. If little faith results in worry, that implies that great, great faith results in trust. And I said faith results in action. It's not just how we show it, but if you are faithful, you can't help but take an action. And again, great faith is believing before you experience something. That, what, what good is it for you to say you thought that all along after it's happened? Faith is trusting, putting your foot in the water, to taking that leap of faith, to extending yourself out there. And lastly, faith is a decision that we all must make. Even if a person does not have faith in God, he or, sure, he or she must have faith in something. 
Friends, your presence here this morning is a statement of faith because you, you're saying, God, I'm giving you the first fruits that you've asked for, the obedience you deserve. I give you the first hours of the first day of the week. And God will meet you and respond to you. And that's just not just my prayer for you. It's God's fulfilled promise to you individually. And believe me, he delights in doing so. You've taken a step of faith. Take another and then another. Walk hand in hand with your father on the path that you are on together or as he leads you, whether it's along the path you're already on or back to the path that he desires for you. And as Paul told the Corinthians, this church, the people who gather here, the people around you this morning are your partners. We work alongside you, joyfully expectant for what's going to happen. And all I can say to that is amen. Let's pray. Father God, the, the cool but scary thing about faith is we have to put it out there first. What good is it for us to do something knowing it's going to happen and then claiming it's an act of faith? God, you, you call us, you stretch us to have more faith. And that's one of those risky prayers where we say, grow my faith, God. And, and the only that way that can be done is by putting us in a position where we have to lean on you. Whether it's our time, our money, our health, whatever it is. And there are so many prayer requests this morning, Lord, where we, we're just putting it in faith. God, please take care of them. Please heal their body. Please put someone in their path that will guide them back to you. We offer these prayers in faith. But like I said, faith is a confident assurance. A confident expectation because we know You've made a promise to hear and to respond in a way that honors you, that's good for you, like the loving Father you are who cares for each and every one of us. You don't want to see us struggle. You don't want to see us suffer. But sometimes you allow things to happen to draw us closer to you. God, there are so many uncertainties and, and things in this world that we can worry about. But let us address these with faith with the full confidence that you are in control. And God, as always, I lift up this service to you. May it always be honoring and pleasing to you. I thank you for all those who gather here this morning, those who are listening online later. God, I thank you always for the empty seats here. Just as the gentle reminder that there is an opportunity to invite people into a house of worship to seek you. God, help us to extend our faith to reach out to others as an example and as missionaries in the world around us. I ask your blessings for all of us here today. In your name, amen.